Air Collective, we have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Uh, Corey's going to be joining us here shortly. And as I said that, bang, there he Bam. is. Look at that. Speak of the devil. Uh, Corey, how's the audio so far? Uh, not bad. How do you, okay. uh, how do you hear me? We can hear you fine. That's excellent. Now, Good. Yeah. Um, while I am going through the audio checks with Corey, maybe you guys should be checking some things also, like the like button, the subscribe, hit the notification bell. That way you get your email every day in the morning whenever we go live, which is, of course, every day. So, Dude, don't even go any further because that might have been one of your best ever clicky click subscribe uh, banner things. Bam, there you go. See, I've, Bam. I've, we were just talking about this. I've Lesson learned. My village idiot rotary dial is down to like one right now. <laughs> Way down to one. Whereas down to just one. a few minutes ago, it was at 15. It was at, well, I'm just saying that was the max. I, I, was I said like 12. 12. You said 15. <laughs> <laughs> so um, while we're doing that, I do want to remind everybody uh, it is Resilience Week. So we're going to be talking, we've been talking about resilience all week. We've been talking on uh, a whole lot of topics. We've talked about social pillars, spiritual strength, emotional toughness, personal accountability, getting stronger every day, both physically and mentally. And now today we're going to be talking about lessons learned. And the reason I wanted to talk about this and how it actually applies to resiliency is I think this is the biggest missing piece that I have seen across the board from people I know, but mostly in me, is that it took me a really long time to recognize not only the lessons were there, but then I had to apply the lesson that I learned into my life in order to, for that not to happen again. So I think this is a big part in terms of resilience, because if you don't actually apply the lessons, then you just make the mistakes again, at least in my mind. So I have a quick definition on lessons learned, and then I'm going to get, uh, Corey and Sean, get your opinions on that. Any questions or thoughts before we dig in? No. Nope. All right, here we go. So, lessons learned refer to the knowledge gained from past activities that should be actively taken into account in future actions and behaviors. Capturing and regularly updating the lessons learned can keep the project on track and help continually improve not only how organizations, but people execute projects. <clears throat> so... I think that's a great just initial step into this, but Corey, let's put you up first. What are your thoughts on lessons learned in terms of resilience? I, I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting thought. Uh, the definition that you said sounded a lot sort of professional, as it were. It sounded than, engineering, didn't it? Yeah, rather <laughs> yeah. rather than say a, a professional thing. And for me, uh, learning lessons, depending on whether or not it's professional or personal, um, are different. And it's not necessarily because the definition is different. It's how long it takes me to learn those lessons. And I found personally, the lessons that I learn take some time. Professionally, they're fairly straightforward. I learned a lesson, there's a right or a wrong. There's a way uh, for something to happen. Whereas with a personal lesson, um, it can take years for that to come out to see what, if I've made a good choice, and if I've made a good choice, did I learn from that choice? That's a great point. Sean, what are your initial thoughts on lessons learned? Yeah, I like that. That's generally how I was thinking myself, Corey, as when I listened to Chance's definition, I just felt like it was right off of Engineering 101 uh, or some sort of uh, college program or some such thing. Uh, I And it's a good definition. It just my first thought was that's applying to a professional industry or a professional career or some such thing uh, versus the individual or the personal uh, lessons learned, as it were. And Corey, you captured it almost perfectly in my mind anyway, uh, because I think that one of the reasons that it's easy to apply those lessons learned within your career is because not you, Corey, but anyone in a career is because um, uh, you're in a structure, you're in a template you're in a understood matrix where you know where you are you know what's expected of you you know what's to your left and right up and down and you can play within that matrix as it were uh, whereas for ourselves our own uh, personal lessons learned our our matrix is our own construct and how we construct our own internal matrix is wholly dependent on us and if we do the work, then it gets easier and easier to see how the lessons can apply within our lives. But 
if we're not constructing our own model within ourselves, then it's harder to better understand uh, what's good for us and what isn't good for us, as it were. So professionally, I think it's way easier to um, understand lessons learned versus the individual. I hope that makes sense. That does make a lot of sense in terms of in a professional setting, you have boundaries and you have very specific, um, especially, you know, within the military, we got a full duties, rules and responsibilities or duties and responsibilities, like <coughs> formatted sheet. You are expected to do X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. We would get uh, evaluations and you'd be able to take the evaluation and apply them to your uh, duties and go, oh, these don't meet up and you can apply those things. But um, well, there's an important distinction there because you're right. You can do that or you might not because you might mm -hmm. be a slacker. And you might have all of the bullet points listed out in front of you, and you know all of the things that you got to do. You got to make your bed. You got to shine your boots. You got to show up to parade squared away. You got to do blah blah blah. All of the things, they can all be laid out, and you can really understand how those things are laid out. But if you're a slacker, it doesn't mean that you are learning the lessons on how to properly apply all of those bullet points that are written out in front of your nose. Where the system comes into play is you have a guy on your left and right or you have someone who is going to jack you up more correctly. Uh, whereas individually or as a person out there uh, in a solo journey, you don't have all of those bullet points to apply against, as you said, Chance, but you also don't have someone barking at you, holding you accountable. You don't have a senior NCO saying, are you kidding me right now with those boots? <laughs> right? I, I was very good at my boots, but that's the point. <laughs> the, uh, the, <clears throat> the first question, the first kind of entrance I want to dive into this really goes along those lines and it really is more about how do we create the structure around in our own lives in order to apply lessons? Because I found, you know, you and I had this discussion at one point actually live when you asked me, how much protein do you eat? And I was like, that's right. You know, lots. I, I'm pretty good on my protein. More than no you. Idea. I had no idea because <laughs> I wasn't tracking right. it. And so I think that that's a first part. But what do you guys think on terms of where do we where do we begin? Right? It's easy to say, Oh, yeah, I, I eat enough or I'm eating right. But where does somebody even begin with that? Corey, I'm gonna put to you first. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I view a lesson. And, and, and as you said, starting, um, like we, we learn lessons after the fact, and it's often not when we choose to, mm -hmm. which is different than say training, uh, something where we can apply, we can actively participate, we can uh, make adjustments on the fly and get real-time feedback. I find the, the lesson is something that comes maybe when we don't even expect it. And the truly epiphany type lessons are the ones that um, come without somebody else coming to you and saying, hey, buddy, like, I think this is something that you need to, to learn or pay attention to. It's something that you come to organically and naturally, at least the ones that you're going to stick to and you're going to learn from the most. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're devastating. Sometimes they're things that you don't want to learn. Sometimes you need to realize you're, you know, you're not cutting it as a father. You're not cutting it as a husband. Uh, you know, you've been a crappy friend and you've been really crappy to yourself. And those are lessons that when they when they come up and you learn them, they kind of slap you in the face. Hence, hence what I mean by by going when you don't get to choose that time that you learn them. Whereas training, you're actively participating in that. And I think what we can do is we can use both of those. We can use it when we realize later on that we've learned a lesson, apply it to training, put it through the feedback loop, see how it works see what pops out the other end and then be open for any lessons that we might learn after that. Sean, thoughts? I agree. That is the sequence of events as I see it. And I think that uh, the only distinction between being a uh, part of a team or uh, maybe I'll categorize it as being part of an industry or being part of a uh, unit, an organization versus the individual within a unit or within a industry, you have something to template yourself against. You have something to categorize yourself against. You know what the standard is that's expected of you, but you can see 
the above standard and you can see the below standard as it walks around you all day long. You can, when someone's, when you're all standing on the start line about to be tested, we'll call it, you can understand how you fit into the general scheme of things, where you are on the totem pole, how you slot in, as it were. Uh, but when you're a solo player, when you're out there by yourself, maybe after your career, where you're not surrounded by the matrix of a bunch of other individuals that you can template yourself against, categorize yourself against, slot in as, well, I'm number six out of 30, or however anyone wants to categorize that. If you're out there by yourself, not uh, evaluating yourself against anything, it's easy to uh, get stuck in the not learning the lessons, because you might understand that you're struggling per se, but that isn't enough uh, impetus or that isn't enough fuel for someone to like pick up their socks and start getting after it and, ad and adjust or correct against the lesson that uh, is directly in front of their nose. Not engaging it fast enough or hard enough because they've got nothing to categorize it against. It's pretty easy to kind of shrug your shoulders and say, eh, you know what, no big deal. Uh, but when you've got when you're surrounded by people who are getting after it, it does become a big deal when you understand that you're underperforming within your surroundings. Interesting, Corey. Got any points to add to that? <clears throat> no, I think Sean uh, covered it pretty well. <laughs> um, I got a comment here from Salty. I just want to remind everybody, by all means, those watching, throw your comments up uh, into the comment section here, and. Uh, I want to know how you integrate your lessons learned in your life. Uh, Salty Jinx says, I think you're, if you're ensuring lessons learned in an organization, it's about ensuring accountability and recording, good and bad, to balance the results before, during, and after a training cycle. And ensuring implementation and testing of the lessons to ensure they balance out. On your own, you need to find that accountability. I think that's a, a really good... That is the trick. Yeah, that's <laughs> the trick, right? <laughs> that is the trick. So how do we, you know, we talked about accountability on Thursday, I believe. And uh, how do we, how do we implement that? How do we implement accountability into our lessons learned then? What do you think, Sean? Well, um, this morning, actually, I sent you a video clip. Mm -hmm. And it was from, I forget his name, he's some sort of social media influencer. I don't know, I just saw him as a big head with a big beard, and I don't know anything more about him. Uh, but he was saying good things, and uh, the clip that was sent to me I thought was legit. And uh, so I pushed that forward to chance, and the individual who sent me the video clip said, Hey, I think this is something that you guys should talk about on The Collective. And you should talk about it through the lens of, this is what The Collective is now doing. And what he was referring to is men, in particular, when they get out of an organization and they're left to their own devices or they're all by themselves, struggle because they're out there dangling in the wind, not connected to anything or anyone or feeling like they're part of something. And I, I mean, I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin and I feel like if ever there was a, a title that's, that's applied against me, it would probably be Ronin because I've run my life uh, as a Ronin, but that's not for everyone. And, and it's a hard path. It's, it's, uh, it's challenging, I'll say, but it's, it's rewarding if you can hang on to the, um, if you can hang on to the difficulty of it. But again, it's not for everyone. What is really easy is to connect with a gang, with a clan, with a tribe, with a group, with, a, with your people and start feeling like you're part of something and understanding how you fit into that something. And then through that lens of comparison of I do this, but they do that. I like what they do. I've got to do me better, different, improve. And so um, his video this morning, as far as I was concerned, the one that was sent to me that I sent to Chance, described perfectly what I see happening to a lot of men out there who are not surrounded by their people. They're out by themselves, wondering and flailing in the, in the dark to some degree, 
uh, and not sure how to re-engage what they once understood, which was the brotherhood. And that's what the video was about, was the brotherhood. So uh, I know that uh, today we're talking about lessons learned and Chance, you just talked about personal accountability. But I think that um, if you're, if the Ronin lifestyle of holding yourself accountable in everything is not for you, then you can segue into that trajectory by finding a brotherhood, a collective, a gang, your tribe, so that you can see how it's being done well and see how it's being done poorly and slot yourself in and start to see how you can categorize yourself within the group that you self-selected and then start your improvement cycle. And as you start your improvement cycle, the people around you to your left and right will help support you in that uh, improvement cycle until at some point you're part of a valuable part of the community who's helping others. And that to me is where the lesson is learned. It's not just where you learn it for yourself. It's where you learn it deeply enough within yourself that you can impart the lesson onto others. Interesting. Corey, you got any thoughts? Um, yeah, sort of a touch base a little bit on what Sean was saying and what you were saying regarding accountability. I think lessons learned and accountability are earned. And what Sean's saying about making yourself part of a tribe, making yourself part of a collective, I think that's something that you need to look inside of yourself and say, am I being accountable? Am I doing what I should be doing? Have I earned all the lessons that I've, I've learned up to this point? And if not, then I need to get on board with things. I need to start doing things. And I think we also need to understand too, that you may learn a lesson at some point and you may need to relearn that lesson. And people forget that. They learn a lesson. They say, I've learned that lesson. I'm good. I don't need to worry about that anymore. Meanwhile, they're slipping, they're not doing what they're supposed to, and they don't, it doesn't even occur to them that they might need to relearn a lesson. And unfortunately, that sometimes comes with a lot of cost. If we choose not to learn it again, if we choose not to recognize it again, it's going to come at a cost. And that could be that isolation, that could be that um, uh, mental, physical sort of thing. But to learn it and then relearn it is just as important. That's a great point. Sean, you got anything to add on it? Yeah, I'm glad you uh, mentioned that, Corey, because uh, it was running through my head about 12 seconds before you said it. And I thought, how am I going to reinforce the idea that uh, this is an ebb and flow process? The lessons learned is almost a misnomer. The title itself is almost incorrect because lessons are learning. They're not learned, as it were. And I'm not saying that that's a typo. I'm just saying that it's a mindset. Mm -hmm. And so you, myself included, all of us can think that we've learned the lesson, but what we're really doing is learning lessons. And uh, we might have to come back and relearn them. We might only be 80% into the learning cycle on that particular lesson. And the other 20% is gonna trickle in over 10 years or over a month or over a hard hit upside the head. Life is full of lessons, and I'm not sure all of them are 100% learned ever before the day we die. Yeah. Interesting. I have a little thing just kind of clicked in my head. Could it, could it be that, you know, the lessons that we learn, especially the big ones, and I'm, I'm going to talk about, you know, some of the big ones that slap you in the face all of a sudden, you know, I'm not a good husband or uh, my kids hate me or whatever it is. Like there's that, those lessons that sometimes just slap you in the face. And the way you described it, Sean, there was really nice in the, in the fact that it might take you a decade to learn that lesson. But I think that perhaps maybe it's those slaps in the face. Are you hitting your left and rights of arcs, right? Like those are the things that are supposed to be like, oh man, I am so far out on the left field now. I need to really rein it in. And that's where it's going to take you a decade because you have to learn not only that you are on the outer extremity and then work your way back in versus thinking of those types of things as being like a small course correction, if that makes sense. It does to me, but you know, the uh, idea being that when you bump up against the edge and you realize that you suck, uh, that's the moment that you realize that and you recalibrate, even if it's only half a degree, huh? I'm good with you then mm -hmm. we're good. The moment that you, you adjust your trajectory back towards the uh, light side, the positive side, the not the Darth Vader crew. If you're moving towards the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, direction, we're good. 
It doesn't even matter to me how long it takes for that person to get to where they want to be, not where I want them to be, but where they belong, we'll call it. Uh, if it takes them the rest of their life, no biggie. You're heading in the right direction. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're heading in the right direction, even if it's at a snail's pace compared to uh, a cheetah-like pace, uh, I'm good. Life is a journey for sure. It can go for a long, long time if you're creating a, a solid body of work. Every day should feel like work, but um, as long as you're heading in the right direction, you'll get to where you're supposed to be, I feel. Corey, you got thoughts? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Sean obviously covered it off fairly well. I'm trying to see how I can add to that. Um, I think that the, I, I like your, I like your point chance about, um, your left and right arcs. Um, I think that I've often ignored those left and right arcs. I think I've hit the bump and kept going and, uh, then looked around and wondered why I was so far off target as it were. Mm -hmm. And the biggest lesson that I've learned recently is, is my ability to endure does not make me tough. And it's a funny thought to think of because I often throughout my entire career and prior to that, my ability to endure what others could not set me apart in my own head. And I could, I could endure more than anyone else. You put it on me, I'll take it, I'll keep going. The problem was I hit a bump. I thought it was food poisoning. I was in bed for five days in intense pain. I went to the hospital. They said, yeah, it's probably this. We'll give you some meds. I went back. I had the worst uh, pain of my life for another three days. I went back to the hospital and they're like, oh, you're dying. And I had something blow up inside of me, literally blow up inside of me and was killing me. But I was sitting there trying to endure the pain for eight days to make sure that I wasn't uh, um, a bother to anybody. I can get through this. I don't need anybody else's help. I spent 11 days in the hospital, got a bunch of stuff rerouted on me, had some fun, fancy medical uh, stuff on me for 14 months and had two surgeries, which will eventually end up being three here, hopefully pretty soon, to finally get back to the point of learning the lesson that just because I can endure it doesn't mean I have to be the only one too. Mm. <laughs> That's a great point, Sean. You got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Uh, the I think the takeaway... Uh, for me there was, um, yeah, like yourself, I can endure things for sure, but we have to keep asking ourselves why we're enduring it. And if it's, if I'm enduring it for the team, all right, I'll dial that rotary dial way up. If I'm in, if I'm enduring it for myself, well, I'll just do me, I'll endure, but there's a different kind of commitment when it's just for ourselves and it's just for the team. Uh, so if it's just for the team, as I've said, I'm going to double down, go harder on the endurance aspect. However, it's the team that I'll listen to because I won't listen to myself. I'll just freaking endure. But when I'm doing it for the team and the team says, whoa, buddy, take the night off or however they categorize it. Well, I'll listen to them reluctantly, but I'll listen to them. And I think that's the importance of lessons learned. As I was saying earlier, get yourself involved with a collective or a clan or a tribe or a gang. You're heard. Get involved with them because that crew is the crew that you will listen to if you're not listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. that, is a, uh, that is a hard one to learn. I remember Tanya was saying this a little while ago. I think she put it on a post. Uh, Super Saiyan Magical Girl she was... Uh, saying that, you know, just because you have a high pain tolerance, that, that's not actually a good thing <laughs> in the fact that it basically teaches you to do things wrong and then endure the pain anyway yeah. versus learning how to do it right without pain and then you don't have to worry about it. And uh, it's kind of interesting because in jiu-jitsu, in my classes uh, that we teach or that, that I'm a part of, we the one thing that keeps coming up pretty regularly, it was actually one of our white belts that came up with this, was it's easier if you do it right and it's kind of, it applies to everything in life in that, you know, if you're using a move or you're trying to learn a lesson or you're trying to engage in something, it actually is easier in the long run if you just do it the way you were taught to do it rather than trying to come up with new methods or manage through the pain or whatever. It's just, if you do it right, it's easier. And it 
seems to it be is easier well. <laughs> right but i don't yeah. that's not what i subscribe to no, i don't please. subscribe to that uh, idea i appreciate the idea i believe that the spirit of what you just said is correct for most of the world but that's not how i work i've been accused of thinking outside of the box on the regular maybe, maybe once or twice yeah that's right <laughs> and and so and and it's not always been to my favor i mean there's sacrifices with thinking outside of the bo of the box because it is not the right path it is not the easy path in most instances but in order to in order to understand or learn new lessons you've got to play in new terrain and so talking about the BJJ mats as the understood terrain, when you show up as a newbie and someone says, just do it right. It's way easier if you just do it right. It is. But the lesson isn't the lesson that I need if I'm just doing it right. Because to me, that's the shortcut. If someone shows me the perfect way to do an arm bar and it takes them 10 minutes to teach it to me, and then from that point forward, I understand the perfect arm bar, I don't understand the imperfect arm bar. I don't understand the plus or minus on the other sides of the perfect arm bar. And to me, that's it's it's in that we'll call it that dirty bandwidth. That's where I have my most fun. That's where I get to leverage things to some degree to use BJJ uh, terminology. And so that's what I've kind of done within my life, certainly in, in special operations. Uh, if there was a perfect armbar uh, that was required in that moment, I was looking for a dirty rear naked choke, as it were, in order to push the envelope and see what's possible, um, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Corey, you got any thoughts? Um, yeah, and, and I, I'll tell another tiny little bit of story here, but uh, obviously in my job, we have to have uh, periodic health assessments. They're supposed to be every three years, people push them back sometimes. And the joke always is when you go in and you talk to the doctor, the doctor asks if you're any in any pain and you tell them hmm, the regular amount. And they say, well, the regular amount is zero. And you're like, what? So, so to touch base on what Sean's saying, I think <clears throat> as long as you are understanding that, okay, I'm in pain right now, I'm learning a lesson from this and this doesn't have to be permanent. When I learn my lesson, then I will stop doing what it is that is causing me the pain. There is going to be a point where we're going to have to endure pain. We're going to have to endure hardship. We're going to have to endure being uncomfortable and on and on and on. And just because we're going through that doesn't mean that the lesson is not worthwhile. In fact, in some cases, it might be more worthwhile. But we have to understand that there is a finite point where the lesson has been learned or you have been incapable of learning it. If you are still enduring this and have still not learned the lesson and think this is your new norm, you have failed. Re-examine, re-examine, reapply, learn something else if you can't learn that. Because if you keep going and going and going and don't learn the lesson and don't listen to the people in your tribe or your group or your collective, and you're certainly not listening to you, you're like me, you end up in the hospital wondering what the hell happened and why you have half of your stuff thrown in the garbage now you know that that is definitely a uh that's a tough lesson to learn uh sean you got any thoughts on that i got a couple comments i want to hit on yeah that. maybe a mindset uh hack we'll call it and so i think uh as as i've been standing here listening to the conversation and thinking about it myself and this isn't um this isn't directed at anyone who's uh currently in the panel right now myself included uh if this is a general statement out there to the interwebs and it's I think one of the reasons that it's that not as effective or efficient as it could be in the pipeline of learning lessons is because um, certainly veterans, I've seen it when I've talked to them, is they treat themselves like privates, like recruits in the sense of learning the lesson. They will treat themselves as uh, beginners and trying to figure it out. And sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming uh, because they're not relying on the skills or, or tricks of the trade that they were taught within their military career. So as they're trying to learn the lesson, they are thinking of themselves as a private in the military, whereas if they switch their mindset and think of themselves as a senior NCO, 
or an instructor who has to learn the lesson in order to teach it to someone else. The lesson is engaged at a deeper level. The uh, responsibility for improvement is uh, ratcheted up. In other words, as you're learning the lesson for yourself, if you can treat yourself as an instructor while you're learning the lesson and understand the importance of learning it deeply enough to help others, it will probably cement the lesson learned faster with more depth and the ability to translate it to others. That's a great point. I've, uh, I've heard this many times is that you never learn something quite as, or you never learn something as well as you will when you have to teach it to somebody else. And that is a, uh, it, it's a challenge too, because you have to not only understand it for yourself, however, you're going to utilize said thing. Um, but you also have to be able to figure out how to teach it to somebody else that does not understand how your mind works, <laughs> which makes it, you have to learn it that much more. Um, any thoughts on that, Corey, before I jump into these comments here? Just a quick quote here um, from Benjamin Franklin. And he said, tell me and I forget. Teach me and I may remember. Involve me and I learn. Mm. I dig that. That's how I feel as well. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, <clears throat> okay. So Salty Jinx jumps in here and he says, uh, tracking and identification of your root cause and expectations allow you to record your goal present and measure results, but you need to identify external sources to bounce your metrics off of and strip your own bias or blind spots in order to ensure growth. And I, I really enjoyed this last portion here is to strip away your own bias or blind spots, because this is one of the biggest issues that I had for many years was dealing with my own biases. I thought I was good to go. I thought I was pretty healthy. I thought I was X, Y, Z. I thought I was good but i had no i had no comparison first off because i wasn't looking at myself wholly without bias so i'm wondering for yourself where where does your stripping of bias or removal of blind spots help you guys in the learning process uh corey for me it was a complete rebuild um I had to strip all the biases and the blind spots away um, after, like I said, my major medical uh, issue. And that was because I realized that I thought I was doing well. I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing and it was killing me. And I was afraid in the, in the beginning that if I didn't, I was going to die. And it wasn't exactly that, but I had to think, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And why am I thinking the way that I'm thinking? And I had to re-examine things and go right back down to the core. If I think something, why do I think this? And if it's something that I've thought for 20 years, why? Is it something that I need to re-examine why I think that way? Maybe 20 years ago, it was valid. Maybe 20 years ago with the information and knowledge I had, you know, the dope that I had at that particular point, it made sense. It worked. But now it doesn't. And it does it for several different reasons. And sticking to that bias or having that blind spot was going to end up killing me. Yeah. Sean, thoughts? I agree with that. The, the word of the day is why, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, it's, it's not used often enough in our daily language, I feel. Um, and I mean that in the sense of internally and externally. And I know that in certain institutions, like the military is an example, uh, back in my day, if I would have said why, well, the lesson I would have learned probably started with burpees. Uh, but uh, I, I was a guy who asked why a lot. <laughs> I got pretty fit pretty quick, though. Uh, and so um, I think that it's important to ask why not only of yourself, but of the institution around you when, when it's appropriate or when you think you can push the envelope a little bit to... Uh, move the needle or the construct to some degree, expand it, as it were. Um, I think why is super important. But you can ask yourself why all day long for the rest of your life, and you might not get much further ahead as you have all of the blind spots that you have. And this isn't directed at Corey, this is directed to myself and everyone. I think that uh, the best way to 
get past those blind spots or move the needle, as it were, uh, in a more effective and efficient manner is to understand the why of yourself within a group that is looking at you and considering your why as to why you're in the group. So it's a reciprocal thing. Uh, you're asking why you're in the group. The group is asking you why you're there in the group. And it doesn't have to be overt. It doesn't have to be challenging. It should be me entering into a group thinking, why am I here? And the group should be looking at me as I enter saying, why are you here? It doesn't have to be a half a day conversation. It doesn't even have to be a conversation, but I know this much that when someone joins my team, whatever that means, I'm observing them. It doesn't mean that I'm finger wagging them or making them do burpees, but I'm observing them to see why they are here. What is their intention? What do they want out of this relationship? What is the lesson that they're looking to learn as it were, or more correctly, what lessons can I learn from them? That reciprocal nature of joining a group, I feel, is the quickest way to better understand who you are rather than the echo chamber of yourself telling you who you are. It's mm. a great point. That's the, uh, you know, earning your spot every day kind of deal, right? You're mm -hmm. constantly focusing on the intentionality of being there for a reason. If you're just there because you're there, what what's the incentive to learn at that point right versus you having the intentionality of being there to learn a lesson and seeking that lesson instinct uh consistently uh cory got any other thoughts i got another couple comments here i was gonna touch on no go ahead good okay uh so Anne McEwen jumps in good to see you Anne. always nice to see you on says tribe is huge for me so thank you uh, seeing others take action helps me with Tanya and Chance's comment about ensure, uh, enduring through physical pain. Uh, would you speak to that viewpoint when it comes to mental and emotional pain? What are your own, some, what are some of your own lessons learned? I get asked about that often. That's a great question. What do you guys think about, uh, enduring mental and emotional pain or the, uh, reaching out for help enduring, enduring those things, John? Well, I feel like I've faced some. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, it's kind of necessary, man. Like, I'm not saying that you should sign up for the world tour of mental and emotional pain. You shouldn't be actively seeking to be in the hurt locker constantly. But I think if you're not in the hurt locker from time to time, you should go start looking how to get into a hurt locker. So that's my first point. I don't think anyone in the world should be living in a bubble. Uh, I think you got to go out and face some adversity. We say that pretty regularly. So with that out of the way, if you're facing more than you're capable of managing at that moment, and I want to be careful here and say that that means something different for someone who is 17 years old versus someone who's 47 years old. And it means something different for someone who is in a a different socioeconomic situation than someone else. And it means something different than dot, dot, dot. So for everyone, it's a unique definition of what is too much mental and emotional pain, for lack of a better term. Um, I think in those moments, you, you just got to do your best with a forward momentum. You got to understand that time will resolve the immediate sting the impact of the moment as it were time always heals as the old saying and it might not heal completely but it will heal enough that you can proceed forward with uh, maybe a scar rather than a, a bleeding wound and many years later you still hold that scar but you can you can get on with your job of life as it were and so i feel that um my advice to anyone who's facing a lot of mental and emotional pain is time will heal. Mm, I like that. I, I want to just touch on that real quickly. Uh, Corey, I'm going to come back to you in a second here is the concept of time will heal. And I've heard this many times over many years. I've talked to many people about this stuff. Um, I think the concept of healing for a lot of people means that it's just gone. 
it's all done with like huzzah <laughs> yay oh the, oh the no scar <laughs> right yeah and it's just you're back to normal but that's not what healing actually is because as you said when you have a major cut and it heals up it's going to be a scar if you get a broken leg it'll heal but it'll never be a hundred percent it'll never be exactly the way it was pre-break and that's, what, uh, and that's not true though that's not true but it'll be different no, it might that's, be healed it, it, it be could different. be stronger it could, it could be stronger, be stronger. absolutely, absolutely. And, right and so when you break a bone when it over calcifies it can become stronger same with a scar the yep. scar isn't necessarily making you weaker the scar can make you stronger it might change your range of motion it might change the way you look at yourself but it can make you stronger 100 percent. and that that's was the point i was going to get to thank you for shortening that up <laughs> yeah corey got any thoughts on that uh, scars, I think, uh, are an important distinction there. Like you said, you don't heal up, they don't go away. Um, and sometimes they'll come back and hurt and it's not the same hurt. It's a different type of hurt, but it's there to remind you. I know sometimes when I look down at my scars and I go, oh yeah, right. A little bit of recalibration needs to happen there. I need to figure out, I don't want this to happen again, or I know why this happened again and I can see it happening again. I don't want this. I'm going to recalibrate and move on. Um, an interesting point though about the uh the mental and emotional pain time will heal yes but i think it's not the time itself healing i think what it is is we often carry our mental and emotional pain around with us and we hold on to it and that's the more specific side of things i know early on in my career i thought that uh, i needed to hold on to all of that it made me better there was reasons why i screwed up something i did this i did that i needed to hold on to it and I thought that that was helping me. The problem was, is I held on to it way past the point where I would have learned my lesson from it. And it became part of me and it became heavy and it's it damaged me. And it wasn't until I basically lost the ability to keep holding on to it and let it go, hence time, that I started to heal and I started to get those scars. But if you just walk around with it, it's too heavy for you. And you don't even know about it. That's a good point, Sean. I, I'm glad you said that because I stated, um, you know, your scars, uh, they're something that you earned and there's a lesson to be learned in that scar and et cetera, et cetera. But the moment that I'd finished my kind of uh, dialogue and you took over, Corey, I was already regretting what I said because I felt that it's it could be uh, misinterpreted. And it's your point um, that's kind of allowed me to segue into there are people out there who um, regularly, proudly proclaim that uh, I earn my scars and I'm proud of them. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I, I, I'm behind that. That makes sense to me. But where it becomes not cool for me anyway is where someone says, I earn my scars. I'm proud of them and then sit on their hands and not do anything for a couple of decades because the scar is their badge of honor that then gives them a hallway pass not to get to work on improving that scar. And so when I said time heals, I didn't mean like start the stopwatch and lay down and watch Netflix for a decade. I meant time heals and the amount of time that it will take to heal is the amount of effort that you put into healing. So we all get to choose our velocity. We all get to manipulate that rotary dial. And to Corey's point earlier, that, that rotary dial is infinitely adjustable. You don't have to go mega at an 11 out of 10 for the rest of your life to heal. You can move that rotary dial to whatever level you want. It's not even a three out of 10 or a four out of 10. It can be a 3.274 out of 10 because it's a rotary dial, man. Just adjust the tempo to heal in a way that feels good to you and isn't putting too much pressure on you, but you know that you're moving forward. Time heals as long as you're doing the work to make use of your time. There is a good point. Uh, uh, that is a great point. And there's a, a little piece on that I want to add on to it because... I think it's important. Um, there is a distinction between physical and mental slash emotional uh, scars. 
And the only real difference is that physical scars, you can see them. You can physically see them. So if you cut your arm and you decide that, well, time will heal. Sure, time will heal. If you just let your arm sit there, your body will naturally close up the cut. It will slowly form a scab. It will then scar over and you will be left with a gnarly scar. Cool. But because we can see it, because we can feel that pain on a regular basis and you know anything that touches it hurts, we start to actively try to fix it. You know, you go to the doctor, you get stitches, you get, uh, you cover it in gauze, you do whatever you need to do in order to make that heal as quickly as possible. Whereas mental and emotional scars, we rarely do that. And I say we as in I am a perfect example is there were many years that I just assumed, oh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm a broken soldier now. PTSD has got me and now this is going to be the rest of my life. Cool. And I just kind of accepted it but I didn't do anything. I just figured, oh, time will heal. Okay, cool. Well, then I'll, I'll be 70 and I'll be just as crazy as the previous generation and so on and so forth. Up until I took the point where I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I can actively work on healing these scars. I can seriously dive into these and then start to make this better. And then I spent, you know, a better part of a decade working on that, just on those scars to try and patch them up, try and stitch them together, try to figure it out. But the lesson that I didn't learn, I was trying to do it myself. I wasn't looking out for, I wasn't reaching out to other people. I wasn't asking how they were doing it. I wasn't up until I started podcasting that I really started getting information from others other than my doc. And so I think that's a, uh, a key proponent on this one is that just because you can't see them, just because other people can't see them does not mean that they cannot be bandaged, stitched, whatever it is they need to be done in order to heal at the optimal rate rather than allowing them to just slowly burn out. And chance if, if, if I'm able to, to jump in there, it's interesting because um, when I look at a physical scar, it's right there. I can't ignore it. It's right there. And I immediately remember how I got that scar. And I remember what I felt and it might just be a second that I think this, or it might be a bit longer that I ponder on it with mental and emotional scars, as it were, we often try to ignore them, right? I don't see it every day specifically because I, I maybe I'm not watching my attitude or my uh, interactions with people. I go, no, no, no. That The only reason I yelled at that guy in traffic was because he was an idiot not because I'm not dealing with the situation well, not because I've got a scar across me that's ugly. And I go, no, 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 that's not it. I'm, I'm actively or inactively avoiding even acknowledging that scar. If I'm not looking at it, if I'm not learning from it, if I'm not doing what I can, it's a fresh scar, I'm putting polysporin on, I'm getting stuff from the doctor, I'm getting stitches done. If I'm not doing anything, it sits there and it festers. It doesn't heal. And I can ignore it, by taking my arm and putting it behind my back. And now I don't have to see the scar on my arm, but after a while, I'm going to notice that I'm putting my arm behind my back mentally and emotional scars. I don't notice that if I don't want to. And that's the difference. It is Sean, you got some thoughts. Yeah. On the scar issue, what came to mind, the image that came to mind is, uh, in a knife fight. Mm. And so when you're, when you're sitting there, I was about to adopt a knife fighting position, but anyone who's listening to this wouldn't know that I'm in a knife fighting position. So I will carry on not in the position. So if you're in a knife fight and someone flashes their knife at you and you take a cut on the forearm, as an example, now you've got a single cut, you've got a single scar, easily visible. You understand the moment because it's connected to the scar, simple, one dimensional. That's a single cut, but mental health is like a, a death of a thousand cuts. They just stack up and they're all tiny little cuts that you can't put a wound dressing on every single time. Cause maybe your day is like crazy. And while you're still trying to catch your breath over the last little cut that you got, yeah. 10 more have stacked themselves on top of each other. And guess what? Some of those cuts were stabs in the back. Some, some of them were a little flick across your shoulder. Sometimes, you know, like uh, use your imagination cuts that stack up either aware or unaware that start impacting you. You start losing blood 
and you can't put bandages on all of them because you don't even feel the little cuts that are inside of you, the mental health cuts, as it were. And so um, how to best defend against the death of a thousand cuts? Start learning how to knife fight. But internally, with your mental health, start tooling up, start learning the profession, start skill stacking so that you can become an internal knife fighter, as it were. I know I've said this story uh, a handful of times, but uh, we're talking about PTSD and the lesson learned. I didn't know I had it until the moment that I was told I had it. And then the moment that I was told I had it by the psychiatrist, within three seconds, I said to her, good, now I know what it is. And then I started knife fighting it. That's the way I choose to uh, approach this issue of lessons learned. If, if I'm dying from a death of a thousand cuts, the moment that I realize it, I'm putting uh, some sort of a gauze patch on it and I'm learning how to wield a blade against it. Mm. That is a great point. And it, it goes into kind of what we were talking about. And this is why it applies to resilience and why I really want to touch on this this week was the fact that those lessons and the ability to all of a sudden realize, oh, I need to start knife fighting because you're in a knife fight is a, uh, that is those, those are the moments where you go, I don't know how to knife fight. Maybe I should ask somebody else or <laughs> I don't know how to do BJJ. I'm getting strangled right now by all of these things. Maybe I should go take a class, right? The ability to realize that I'm now in a fight and I don't know how to should lead towards the next lesson, right? Should lead you towards somebody to learn from, should lead you towards some sort of learning in those moments where you start to look around and go, I don't know what I'm doing. Who's doing it better? That person's doing it better. Okay, I'm going to go learn from them. And I, unfortunately, I think especially with emotional and uh, mental and you know, mental scarring and PTSD and all these major issues, because they're not physical, because we don't see them, and because we're able to just push them aside, we slowly get to a point where we, we've forgotten we were in a fight until we're bleeding out, if that makes sense. Corey, you got any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I think, um, obviously, for us to identify those things and, and to seek the next lesson, as it, as it were, but to also understand that when we look at ourselves and we see those scars, we see those things to identify it in others. So as you said, you know, you didn't even know you were in a, a knife fight. Well, maybe that means I need to walk up to somebody and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, brother, it looks like you're uh, you're in a knife fight. You might not know that. Do you want some help or do you want me to show you how to knife fight? OK, I'll just stand here for a little bit. You let me know. And to be able to recognize that in a, in a counterpoint in somebody else, I think that's just as important that we take those lessons that we've learned, we've paid the scars, and to look for others that are currently in that fight and maybe haven't learned that lesson yet. And again, we're the only ones who can learn the lesson. I can't make you learn a lesson. I can't make Sean learn a lesson. But I can certainly stand there and say, hey, you know what? You're learning a lesson right now. You might not know it, but what do you need? Yeah, it's a great point. John, you got any thoughts on that? I do. I think uh, that is a valuable approach where someone who sees someone standing in a pool of their own thousand cut blood and saying, uh, hey, man, uh, do you know what's going on right now? Uh, and maybe they don't. Well, that's a that's that's one way to do things. Go help someone. If for someone in the collective stepping outside of the collective to help someone outside of the collective and maybe bring them into the collective, as it were. However, I think the most valuable, the most powerful, the most important lesson learned is the one that you actualize yourself, the one that you pull the trigger on yourself, where you hold yourself accountable enough in the moment that you change your program, you change your ways, you reach out and you connect with the group that you want to connect with that is going to make you better and you freaking engage that day. You engage that day not someone reaches out to you to pull you in maybe passively you gotta put your shoulders back your chest out your chin up and engage in something that's going to change your life 
if you want to learn the lessons that you really feel you need to learn. Because you won't always learn them by yourself unless you're really wired that way. And not many people are wired to wander the world by themselves as a solo player and learn all the lessons. I just don't know who does that. You can do it a lot faster in a group, but if the group isn't pulling you in, which is usually the case, you got to go reach into the group and drag yourself into it. Hmm. There's a, uh, <laughs> there's a couple comments I missed here that I want to touch on before I get, uh, before we finish up, but you got any thoughts on that, Corey, before we move on? No, I think Sean nailed it. Okay. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And he, Cody, this comes in from Cody earlier today, and I or earlier and I missed it. He says that's because we are stubborn, Sean. <laughs> we need to learn for ourselves. That is me. Blessing and a curse. It is. <laughs> is yeah, it's got a both. Um, and then I think we got the comment of the day here from Anne. I just love this because it ties what you were saying into a very neat bow. Anne says, "My lesson learned: I need to intentionally invest in building my own capacity, my whole person." I needed to ask slash accept for accept help, and I first had to own it. I was contributing to my injury and situation, hundred percent. And again, I think this is why. This well, this is why I wanted to add this into resilience uh, at Resilience Week because this is the key. I think in all the resilience stuff that we've talked about all week is if you can't take ownership of this. Uh, contributing to your injuries, your situation is that it's on you and you have to learn the lessons and you have to be able to move forward and you have to be able to take those lessons and apply them to the next day and apply them to the next day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Cause without that resilience is, uh, kind of a misnomer. What do you guys think? Uh, Corey? Uh, I couldn't agree more. I was shaking my head. Yes, there, but, uh, it was funny because I, I, I often think of the, the phrase, no one's coming to save you. Mm. And I know I talked about, uh, uh, about doing that, but for me and my personal journey, um, it's, I always have this image of throwing myself down a hill and then getting up and walking to the top again, and then throwing myself down the hill again and wondering why I was where I was. Why am I so beat up? Why am I so tired? But here I am walking up the hill again to throw myself down the hill again. And it's because I wasn't recognizing that I was the one who was contributing to my injury and, and, and uh, all the rest of it uh, until I recognized that I and nobody else was pushing me down the hill. Yeah, there's a large hill, all the problems, all the trauma, all the everything else, but I'm the one who kept actively throwing myself down the hill. If I can stop doing that and at least recognize that and maybe not throw myself down the hill as many times as I, I can, I'm going to get better. <laughs> that is such a great mental image. <laughs> I can't, can't tell you enough how perfect that is of climbing to the top of the hill and throwing yourself off. And you're like, oh, why? My legs hurt. Oh, man. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, Sean, you got any thoughts? Yeah. So there's two outcomes from that moment where you're throwing yourself down the hill. Eventually, you'll get so beat up or broken that you won't be able to walk up the hill. And then what? The other aspect is uh, the different direction is you throw yourself down the hill often enough and realize that you're beat up enough that you got to change your ways. And depending on how deep you are into that trajectory, how, how long you've been beating yourself up or throwing yourself down the hill, learning, maybe not learning the lessons, just, <laughs> just stacking up some lessons for the future. Um, if you engage in that process, and you were really deep into the problem, uh, you're now, it's almost like a gift. The gift of having a deep understanding of how much that hill hurts, as it were. And so it's kind of like, um, it's a gift to others. If you can sort yourself out, then you're a gift to the team because you can impart the wisdom that you gathered while you were falling down that hill, throwing yourself down that hill, getting beat up by that hill. So I think that there's the two uh, directions that you can head. You can keep going down that hill until you break all the bones in your body and there'll be no more climbing up that, up that hill. Or you can take a moment and realize, I've got a body of work inside of me called all of that 
hurt that I put myself through, I've just got to convert that into goodness, into wisdom, into, into help for others. Yeah, 100%. Now, I have, uh, I have one comment, and then I have a quick uh, analogy, and then I'll do some final thoughts on this because we're just at time here. Um, Cody says, in the mud, heading towards the mountain, wanting to quit, waiting for the cadre, then realizing nobody's going to drag you out. It's all on you. Walk to the mountain and summit. <laughs> great, great, great line from Cody. Um, have you guys heard of the, I think it's the cheese run or the rolling the cheese down yes. the hill, right? Yeah. The image kind of clicked in my head as you were talking, Sean, was the fact that the people that are new at that, and they throw themselves down the hill, right? Everyone there is there to throw themselves literally down a hill. And the people that are new usually get hurt right away because they haven't done it enough times to realize that there is actually a technique to rolling down the hill and to running down the hill and how you fall down the hill. And how... and there's a point where you, uh, I was watching a documentary on odd games all over the world. They were talking about the cheese run. And they were talking to some winners out there that said, oh yeah, no, no, you fall all the time. But it's how you fall. And that clicked in my head as you were talking, Sean, is that yes, not only are you going to continue to walk up to the top of that hill and throw yourself down, because that's kind of life. How, <laughs> it's kind of how we, uh, uh, how life turns out. But once you figure out that once you start throwing yourself down that hill, oh, it's me doing it. Oh, well, then I can manage the pace. I can manage the speed. If I trip and fall, I can roll. If I can come back up on my feet, even better. If not, we'll just keep rolling. Like there's, there's techniques to it. And those are lessons learned, which applies directly to being a resilient person. And so if your life is throwing yourself down a hill all the time, well, start to learn a lesson, right? Start figuring out how to do it better. And once you figure out how to do it better, then be the first one at the bottom of the hill. I was picturing all of us kind of standing at the top of the hill going, this is going to hurt. All right, we, and off we go. If you, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind playing with that Absolutely. analogy just for, for a sure. sec, because probably in your mind, you categorized uh, everyone standing on top of the hill, looking to your left and right and seeing all of your friends, your clan, your group. Mm -hmm. Everyone plays well in that group. As you're throwing yourself down the hill, it isn't a bunch of unorganized faceless, nameless individuals on top of the hill that you know, when everyone throws down, you've got all kinds of bodies piling on top of all kinds of bodies, irresponsibly banging and bumping into each other with no concern for their friends. Am I wrong? Yeah, you're right and here. you know, where a lot of those injuries occur, it's from people landing on you from people kicking you as they go by from people pushing you in the face as they try to get down safely. So the difference is align yourself with the right crew on top of the cheese hill. Yeah. Or, or, or you realize you don't like cheese. You wait for everybody to start running and you start walking down. And as the bodies crash around you, you get to the end at a slightly slower pace. I agree with that as well. That's good. I love that. That's I've great. been out analogied. There you go. Oh, a new title. The Analogy King goes to Corey. <laughs> well, uh, we, I just want to say thanks again very much. Great conversation. Uh, great comments as well from all the people watching. Really appreciate the questions. Continue it on, though. Keep putting down your comments by all means. I want to hear about your lessons and, you know, the things that you've learned from them. Um, Corey, final thoughts on resilience, lessons learned, how those things coalesce. <laughs> Hmm. You'd think I'd have something profound after the cheese comment, but no, I think it's, I think it's an ongoing, uh, ongoing thing for the rest of your life. Understand that just because you've tackled one thing and, and built resilience to it doesn't mean you're not going to have to do it again. Just because you've learned a lesson, you may need to relearn it and it may be tougher to relearn the second time, but that means it's much more important and look for your crew, look for your collective. Sometimes that might not be uh, a group of guys that you train with, but that might be your family. Listen to what they're saying because they love you. They want the best for you. And maybe, just maybe, they're seeing that you're in a knife fight that you don't realize you're in. Mm. Great point. Sean, final thoughts? Yeah, lessons learned. It's, it's all our personal responsibilities to 
learn the lessons of life and to improve our lives. That is our responsibility. If this is a video game, we're supposed to get better at the video game. Uh, but uh, I think that rather than focusing on getting better for yourself, I'm going to default back to my usual shtick, which is get better for those around you. Get better for the team. Get better for the collective so that you can, in time, help support that crew that you want to hang out with and encourage others to join in and learn the lessons that they need to learn and help the collective learn the lessons that the collective needs to learn as a group. I think uh, I'm going to close this off with a just a quick little snippet here is the fact that, as we said earlier, lessons aren't learned directly. They are a consistent, continual process of learning and reiterating and adding and stacking onto the skill set that they provide after you start learning. And so I think that as we all get better, as we all start to add in biases based off of the things that we've learned previously in life, the one thing that we all need to do in order to build our resilience and to get better as people is to learn that we don't know everything. Once we learn that, we can build upon it and we can grow into the person that we're meant to be. And you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.